Hello! Welcome to the Healthy Habits Happy Home Podcast, hosted by the Guelph Family Health Study. If you're interested in the most recent research and helpful tips for healthy, balanced living for you and your family, then this podcast is for you. In each episode, we will bring you topics that are important to your growing family and guests who will share their expertise and experience with you. Our quick tips will help your family build healthy habits for a happy home. Welcome back to the Healthy Habits, Happy Homes podcast. I'm Marcy Ann. And I'm Tamara. And today we're excited to have Dr. Dahlia L. Corey join us. Dr. L. Corey is an Associate Professor of Applied Human Nutrition in the Department of Family Relations and Applied Nutrition here at the University of Guelph, and she is a registered dietitian. Today she is here to talk to us all about dietary supplements. So thank you so much for joining us today. So just to get us started, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your role and experience with the Guelph Family Health Study? Thank you so much for um, for um, having this broadcast with me today. It's it's a big honor for me. And um, yeah, I mean, my work with the Guelph Family Health Study uh, dates um, go back goes back to many years ago. Actually, I was re- recently given the privilege to be part of this amazing cohort study team as if officially as a faculty member. But our collaborations go back to many years ago. I was given actually the opportunity to uh, work on some of the the questions I had in my clinical research work on identifying early biomarkers for the metabolic syndrome in adults as well as children through um, so analyzing some of the blood samples they had. Uh, so I used those blood samples to analyze uh, those uh, analyze those markers, and I also used already collected uh, dietary, anthropometric, clinical, and biochemical parameters uh, in the cohort. Uh, in addition, I do serve, I'm still, I, I am advising and I serve as member on advisory committees for uh, graduate students whose work is based on data uh, derived from the Guelph Family Health Study. And finally, I want to mention this because I'm, I'm also excited to be a collaborator on this huge multidisciplinary project. Uh, and I'm sure you know about it, the Implementing Smart Cities Interventions to Build Healthy Cities, the Smart Training Platform, uh, which comprises collaborators from all over Canada and which is intended to help make cities healthier, more livable, and more resilient. So, um, yeah, this is a summary of what uh, what I how I work with the Guelph Family Health Study team. Amazing. It's great to have you on for sure. And I did want to say congratulations on your new role as an addition officially as a faculty member to the Guelph Family Health Study. It's very exciting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Just to give us like, I guess, a foundation for our podcast today, can you provide our listeners with a definition for dietary supplementation? Sure. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to start with a definition uh, in Canada. It's uh, by Health Canada. Dietary supplements are classified as natural health products, which they call them now natural and non-prescription health products. And this include any product that's uh, generally, these are naturally occurring substances that can support your diet and your health in different ways. So they can include micronutrients, uh, omega-3 fatty acids, essential fatty acids, probiotics, Biotics, vitamins, amino acids, and other substances, even herbal remedies can be included in there. Anything, again, that will support the diet, uh, complement the diet to support your health uh, and maintain your health and prevent you from developing deficiencies as well, 
this is considered a natural health product. This is considered a dietary supplement. Same, there is the same definition by the US FDA, the United States Food and Drug Administration, where they also define a dietary supplement as a product, either vitamin, mineral, herbs, amino acids, other dietary substitutes that are intended to supplement uh, intake from the diet. And they can come in different forms. I'm sure you know that they can be, they're sold over the counter. They're commercially available as tablets, capsules, gummies, powders, drinks, and energy bars. And I want to mention here something that def defining a dietary supplement is very important because so, some some individuals they they don't understand what 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 is considered a dietary supplement. So in my research, when I do any research on dietary supplement, I make sure to define dietary supplements. What does it mean at the beginning? Give some examples so that people are aware what uh, dietary dietary supplement is. Yeah, that's a really good point. Actually, I never thought. Um, to be honest, I guess I never even really thought that the different organizations like Health Canada and the in the FDA in the United States would have kind of differing definitions as well. So thank you for providing those comprehensive definitions. And as well, it is important to think about the specific definition for the purposes of the research that you're doing. I can imagine how that would be important to be clear because there is so much that falls under that dietary mm -hmm. supplementation umbrella. Exactly. And I want to add one more thing about the definitions. As you said, I'm just giving examples from two countries. Uh, and, and this is a, another problem where we don't have still a unified, you know, a uh, agreed upon definition for dietary supplements worldwide. So it depends on each country and how they define uh, dietary supplements. So this is also another thing to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. That is very interesting that there's a lack of a universally accepted definition. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Another question we have for you is, have you seen any trends in pediatric dietary supplementation use? So those who are 18 years and younger? So I haven't done any studies myself on the use of supplements by not, not yet, uh, by children, infants, and adolescents. But we have data from uh, the Canadian Community Health Survey. These are large national surveys that are done at the national level, um, one of them was done in 2015, and again, these are done on any Canadian age one year and older, and they asked them about the type of supplements they consume in the past one month. And I can tell you that we, uh, we have around 45% of children aged one to three years and four to eight years old who take dietary supplements. And then for those, it decreased a little bit for those aged 9 to 13, it's around 36.8%. And then for the teenagers, 14 to 18, we have 26.5% of males and around 32.9% of females using dietary supplements. Now, you see a, a little bit of a decrease. I want you to keep in mind that, especially for the infants, when we talk about infants and children, it's mostly done under parent supervision, Right. Uh, so when we talk about supplementation, these are supplementation practices by the parents and the children and the infant. They cannot, the children are not able to make those informed decisions on their own. So, and when we talk about those types of supplementation generally, and I'm going to speak about um, supplementation among athletes later on, but especially in adolescents, but generally those supplementation practices are done to correct certain deficiencies, right? Or to prevent some de deficiencies from happening or to manage some characteristics of certain conditions that uh, a child might be having. And again, um, we can discuss different examples like vitamin D to prevent bone issues, iron to prevent or correct iron deficiency anemia, right? Um, 
probiotics is common also for uh, improved gut health. Omega-3 as well has been highly promoted for management of some characteristics of some conditions that affect the behavior, right? Uh, the attention. Uh, although I'm saying many of these may not have strong evidence yet on their benefits, but this is what the, the supplementation practice looks like when we're talking about the pediatric population or even uh, adolescents. That's all really great information. Thank you for sharing that mm-hmm. um, and, and being so like thorough in the explanation as well. That's very helpful. With that being said, you know, with families and especially children who you said those under 18, it's usually done under um, Mm -hmm. parent supervision. How can families address dietary supplementation use with their adolescent children and kind of educate them on what they're taking? That's a great question. I mean, um, parents can play a big role, uh, especially when um, their their kids or especially adolescents, if they come to them and they want to take some supplements, very important first for the parents, if they don't have enough information, you know, solid scientific information about the supplement, I am going to keep saying this throughout the whole podcast. I'm going to keep saying it. Very important that we have professional guidance when, when we make any decision about any supplement. We may, we may think that we know enough about the supplement, but I'm gonna, we're going to talk later about the consequences of uh, any supplementation that's not done under guidance. Under guidance means under the guidance of a physician or a better to have it under the guidance of a registered dietitian, where there is a clear assessment of the diet of these individuals, of these uh, kids, uh, of what, the, the quality of their diet, what they consume from foods, see if there is anything missing, do other assessments like anthropometric assessment, biochemical assessment, withdraw blood and do some analysis of the blood to confirm if they need some form of supplements or not. Because if you're taking those supplements and you're getting everything from the diet, from the food sources, there is no additional benefit we see beyond what the diet is providing you. Again, given that the diet and the food sources are providing you the needed nutrients to support growth and development, including cognitive development and, uh, and, and et cetera, immunity, et cetera. So my, my main advice, and I'm going to keep saying it, have it under professional guidance because, and, and, and explain to the, to the kid, irrespective of the age, I mean, you have to explain that you cannot just take the supplement but because your friend or your peer or your classmate, this is not the best approach because this is not evidence-based information. We don't know their case. We don't know why they're taking the supplements. You see my point? We have to take it on an individual basis, this kind of assessment, and decide, do they need the supplements? Yes or no. Since we're talking about this, I'm sure parents will, will hear lots of information about vitamin D and its importance for preventing bone problems. Um, again, omega-3, uh, we know in Canada from Canadian studies that children, like... Only 5% in one of the studies found found that children consume the target intake of those essential fatty acids and the omega-3 in particular fatty acids. And omega-3 is very important for the brain development, for cognitive development, has been shown to improve cognitive function, especially when taken at early stages in life, may have some implications on the behavior. So, So parents might be hearing this information, but again... They need to know is the whether they need to to discuss this with a physician, with a dietitian, to see if their kids are meeting their needs of omega three from the diet. If they are, why do we need to take supplements? If not, then let's discuss a plan for having this supplemented onto your diet. 
you see my point so that's that's very important to keep in mind no thank you you brought up amazing points and i think um it's so important again to talk to a healthcare professional and especially it's it's a more individual thing because i know a lot of teenagers i'm around um mm-hmm. can be influenced by their friends who are their fellow athletes so they're like oh should i be taking protein oh, yeah. or creatine or um, more vitamin d iron things like that because they're impressionable and it's it's something that's very talked about in their circles but again, mm-hmm. it's like, do you need that? Is is this something you can get through diet or you're already getting through diet? Um, talk to your healthcare professional to make sure that, that this is the right yeah. plan uh, for you. So I think that was just amazing points that, that you yeah. brought up. And, and, and I want to add one thing. I'm sorry, I keep adding, adding. <laughs> yes. um, there is a study since you mentioned about athletes. And I want to talk a little bit about, because my work uh, focuses a lot on athletes. Now I'm focusing more on adult athletes. And hopefully in the future, I will, I will uh, target adolescent and younger adults. But in adolescence, especially there was a study in Calgary on uh, athletes age 11 to 18. And they found that a big percentage consumed different types of supplements, as you mentioned, vitamin C, vitamin D, the sports foods, the probiotics, protein powders, plant extracts were commonly consumed in this group. And especially they asked them, what, how my, what do you consume in the past three months? That was the question. But I'm saying a high percentage. They say sometimes when you do these kind of supplement use studies, we're assuming that there is underestimation of the, the value we're reporting is an underestimation of the reality. Because not everyone wants to report how much they're consuming in terms of dietary supplements for different reasons. So they assumed in the study that maybe 100% of those athletes, they reported some form of usage or any type of these supplements. So that's a big, that's like every, every yeah. single person athlete is ex, kind of, is expected to be using any of these supplements. Wow. And that's uh, that's a bit scary, mm-hmm. especially if not if it's not done, if the parents don't know, or if there's no professional gui- guidance around it. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that's actually really interesting, too. I think it just ties back to that point of how important it is to get that professional guidance and get Mm -hmm. that personalized, individualized assessment. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I mean, these things are also costly as well. That's a factor as well to consider that sometimes it's not even um, necessary necessarily. But it is, um, it's also very interesting, too, when we talk about um, dietary supplementation, there's just so much information like everywhere about it, like online, and that aren't necessarily from, you know, evidence based sources. So I think it's important that you're really that uh, we are kind of talking about this and that we are stressing getting that kind of information from those Mm -hmm. evidence-based sources. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. So with that, like what are some of the consequences that are associated with dietary supplement use? One thing I want to mention about the consequences, and I'm going to mention, I'm going to divide it into different categories, but again, um, taking supplements without having your diet assessed about whether about whether you're meeting those nutrient needs from food sources uh, yes or no if if you don't do this kind of assessment under professional guidance again having too many of these nutrients taken that doesn't guarantee that you're going to get additional benefits it all depends it's all it, it, it's all on individual basis it depends on your physiology on how you're going to respond to these supplements whether the additional nutrients will help you or not there, there is no guarantee. So also the safety, we have to keep it in mind, and I'm going to speak about it. So the consequences, 
let's let's talk since i mentioned safety i'm going to talk about it here i'm going to start talking about the side effects uh, that that many of these supplements do have and actually that was reported by health canada that 12% of canadians who use natural health products report at the point that they have experienced unwanted side effects and when i talk about side effects it can be an allergic reaction to a component uh, in, the, in the supplement it can be uh, some manufacturing problems where we have some uh, incorrect dosing in, of the ingredients added or some contamination by trace elements that are not supposed to be there, for instance. Uh, the risks also is, uh, are related to claims, and unfortunately, this is reality. The claims that should that are on the supplements, according to the regulations, they should be well supported by evidence, by science, by trials on humans. But many of the claims, when we get products that are not approved in Canada, not monitored by by the Canadian authorities, many of them may have claims that can mislead people, right? And they can lead them to using wrong products for their conditions and leading to other undesirable consequences. Um, sometimes they, they have ingredients, those products, those supplements have ingredients that are not displayed on the label. That's another big issue that we, we can deal with. When we don't do an a quality control or assessment of each, each batch of supplements we approve here or we have in Canada or anywhere, you might, you might miss those ingredients that are added in the supplements and it can be added intentionally or non-intentionally, but they're not displayed on the label. Um, another so another problem we have to, to, to keep in mind or consequence when it's misused, again, I'm talking about the undesirable consequences when there is a misuse of supplements without professional guidance, can be the nutrient-nutrient interaction and drug-nutrient interaction. Because some of those supplements, if you're taking certain medicines, certain uh, drugs, medications, I mean, pres prescription drugs, um, they may have... Uh, undesirable interaction. They, so you have to know if you're taking these type of medicines, maybe you shouldn't take the supplement at the same time. Do you see my point? Uh, also, when you're taking multiple supplements, some people tell me, I'm taking iron supplements and calcium supplements. Okay, are you taking them the timing? Is the timing taken into consideration? No, I take them together. But to, they're going to interfere with each other's absorption. They're not going to be that effective. Uh, but my, for instance, if you're taking vitamin C, and iron, that's a good combination. Again, that's why I'm saying guidance is important in these cases. Another thing I want to mention, and this is for the athlete population, we're trying to focus our studies on this part, which is called the inadvertent doping. And this is commonly seen in the athletic population, whether adolescents or adults, I'm talking here, uh, is that adult, uh, those athletes who take supplements without supervision, sometimes they can get a doping effect from the from the supplements because of this contamination that I spoke about where these uh, toxic element contamination can be there or contamination with substances that are prohibited, that are not allowed to be taken by athletes, active pharmaceuticals, steroids I'm talking about here, right? They are there. They're not displayed on the label. So the athletes are taking these, athletes are taking these supplements without knowing um that this is this contamination exists without being aware of that and this can lead to uh, doping effects doping consequences and you know the doping consequences in in the athletic world 
Um, so yeah, I mean, this is this is a very big deal. And when I'm trying to study now those supplement the supplement use among athletes and trying to, I'm trying also to educate them about um, dietary supplements, I speak a lot about inadvertent doping, um, unintentional doping, which can have lots of undesirable consequences, as you all know. And I want to add one thing here about the sources of information. We know from our studies on um, varsity athletes and non-athletes students at the University of Guelph, and from other studies in Canada and worldwide, we know that supplement users, they derive their information from unreliable sources. They base their advice on parents, friends, trainers, coaches, and less and less frequently from healthcare professionals and uh, such as physicians and dietitians. Uh, we've seen studies re- uh, saying that um, uh, some Canadian athletes ranked physicians at their eighth choice as a source of information, while dietitians were ranked 16th. So imagine that, um, yeah, that's 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 uh, that's sad to hear, and that's what that's where my nutrition education programs are are trying to work on this on on educating athletes that this is not good, this is not right. You need to seek more information from reliable sources. I'm not saying that the phys- that the trainers that the coach- coaches don't have the needed information, but studies have shown that many of them, many they have poor understanding of dietary supplementation risks and the nutritional concerns of athletes and how to address them, right? Very important to keep in mind. Yeah, it is very important and it's very interesting. Um, I mean, again, like we've kind of mentioned, like there's just, it's just so easy to come across information these days. And when there is so much information, it's hard to sometimes like critically evaluate it and, you know, these sources um, that is, I'm actually very shocked that um, physicians were eighth and dietitians were 16th on that list. Yes. yes. But it is um, I think that the education piece that you're working on with your research is so important because that's such a big part of it without that. Cause as, Mm -hmm. as you're discussing these risks and consequences, you know, it's not just whether or not the supplement will do kind of what you want it to do, but it's like the safety piece of it as well. And like these drug, drug, um, these drug nutrient interactions mm-hmm. and the food drug interactions. And those are things that somebody that hasn't necessarily, you know, worked in this area very well might not know about. Um, exactly. So it's, it's very important to get that kind of information from, um, you know, somebody who's very well-versed and in, in a, a health professional for sure. Exactly. And it was, um, actually very interesting that you mentioned too earlier in terms of the consequences you know it's not only just the efficacy but also when you talk about contamination and Mm -hmm. um, manufacturing and things like that like how um, obviously that's like kind of a larger scale problem not necessarily um, an easy fix but what are some ways that um, we can maybe like mitigate some of those types of risks no, that's a great question. And I think that takes us to the question about the regulations. And I'm not saying that in Canada, they're trying to be, to have, to always update the regulations uh, around the dietary supplements, how to keep having always this uh, a consistent uh, quality control, standardized quality control approach. And again, in Canada, to be licensed to have dietary supplements uh, sold in Canada, they must be safe, effective of high quality, and they have to carry detailed label information uh, about everything that is uh, that is being delivered by the supplement to, to for, for helping people make those kind of safe and informed choices. Uh, now, again, I'm, I'm, I want to emphasize that the, the Health Canada is trying their best to 
um, have say only safe and effective supplements available on the market. And they have something called this, uh, and I, I always encourage people to look for something uh, called the NPN, the natural product number. This means that the product has been authorized by the by Health Canada for sale in Canada, and it was found based on studies. It was demonstrated to be safe and effective when used uh, according to the instructions on the label. So I'm not saying that the, Can the Health Canada is not, they're doing a great job, but not everything we can get. I mean, I can purchase supplements from the U.S. You know that online. I can purchase from any part of the world supplements. Are they being monitored? Are they being tested when they enter Canada? Those batches need to be always checked, double-checked for ingredients, randomly analyzed to see if they contain anything that is not displayed on the label. Can we do that all the time? It's it's a it's it's a bit expensive, time-consuming maybe. So I don't think they can do that for every batch. But the, if we have, again, the stronger the quality control procedures are and the more we have them, we can ensure that many of the supplements we consume do not have this risk of contamination. There are in the U.S., for instance, I can tell you, some independent organizations who offer quality testing and they display it on the product. Do we trust those organizations uh, if they're doing a good job? I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, they do some form of quality assurance, quality uh, uh, control, but uh, I don't know. Does this guarantee that the product is safe, effective, and doesn't have any contaminants? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know. I cannot guarantee that. And even like, you know, like you were mentioning, the world is just so connected these days. Like we can just order something, you know, not even from the States, um, from something across, you know, halfway across the world, we can order and receive it at our doorstep and who's monitoring that. And, you know, that's, that's a very good um, thing to think about when you are thinking about dietary supplements. And there is too, just in this world and in this, obviously dietary supplementation is such a big market. Like there's just an overwhelming mm -hmm. number of products on the market. So I was just wondering, like, how, like, basically the regulation aspect of supplementation, is it better than to stick to Canadian products? Or what do you, uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, the U.S., they also, they, they definitely, the U.S. FDA, they, uh, they have their own also quality control system. They try to keep things under control. I'm not, definitely they do, like the Canadians. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't want to speak country by country. I don't want to. Yeah, of course. Besides, because. Um, they're, they're all doing their job very well. But again, if, like, I mean, I advise the consumer, the parents who are with their children want to uh, get any supplement for their children or even the adults, the adolescents, always, again, to check, to, to be able to check the nutrition label, the ingredients, the instructions for use, and if possible, to try to find this NPN number. Yes, you're telling me... Let's get products that are approved and licensed in Canada. Yes, that's my advice for sure to be on the safe side. But I can, again, I'm not saying that the other products are not good coming from other countries. I just cannot guarantee safety. Um, effectiveness, I don't want to talk about it because they, 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 there might be different ways to prove effectiveness and they might be effective, but safety-wise, that's my only one of my major concerns. For sure. Effectiveness is a whole other podcast I think we can have just focusing on <laughs> yeah. effectiveness, but safety is definitely important. And that's a very valuable tip about if, if you are looking at Canadian products and looking for that NPN number that's um, that Health Canada is kind of authorized for sale yeah. and that it's safe. And I imagine too that probably marketing and the media probably also plays in a, a big role in this as well. 
Oh yeah, I mean, the media is, is, plays a big, big role. Um, the internet, as you know, in recent years has emerged as an important source, uh, like major source of health-related information. People can search online for free to get health information. Um, that has that has benefits for sure. Like uh, information is readily available now to individuals; they can get it whenever they want. But also, it has uh, some disadvantages. Is what I call media literacy. Literacy in media is lacking among many people. Like to interpret the information you're getting to be able to assess whether it's coming from credible sources or not. That's very important to have, this kind of literacy, to be able to judge well or, or be able to assess well whether this information, is it credible or not? Is it coming, is it uh, is it accurate or not? Is it written by someone who, who is knowledgeable in the field or not? So very important, if you want to get your information, there are different reliable sources online that you can go to, like Health Canada, FDA, lots of um, websites that are related to dietary supplements, like Office of Dietary Supplements, Food and Drug Administration, Dietary Supplement Label Database, and Health Canada. They are reliable sources, credible sources. But again, um, you have to be aware when using the internet to be able to correctly assess and judge what you're reading and who wrote this information and whether you want to trust them or not. You see my point? That's very important. I'm not, again, I'm not against the, the internet or the media promoting things, but are they promoting things with accurate information? I'm not sure. So that's something we need to keep in mind. Yep. Media literacy and the whole, like just navigating all that information. Crucial. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Wow, I'm I'm just taking it all in. This is all very great information, and I just appreciate how um, how much you're sharing and how thorough you are, and just even you know promoting just caution and, and education as well. I'm just thinking about my own circle, you know, my uh, adolescent siblings and my parents and people in my circle who I think um, can see the word natural on a lot of products and just kind of assume that there there's no side effects like it, yes. it'll be perfectly fine um exactly. but even just reiterating that that's that's not that's not the case <laughs> but i did want to ask what does responsible dietary supplement use look like so we're going to repeat some of the information i mentioned before very important that when i say responsible uh, supplement use it means first having it done under professional guidance whether you have a physician or a dietitian you have to first get their opinion on that. They can advise you on whether you need it or not. The the dosage, the the way of the the way the best way of taking those supplements throughout the day. Um, again, having it done after a detailed assessment of the nutritional status of the infant, child, or adolescent. If we're talking about the younger generation, younger adults, it needs to be a detailed. There need to be a detailed assessment, including dietary assessment of their diet intake what they eat, what they're missing in their diet, um, and also other types of assessments, like, as I said, biochemical, which I mean here, some blood blood assessment done for some vitamins, some minerals, if you want know, to double check if they have some deficiencies in these nutrients or not. Another, way, another thing is careful reading of, and I just mentioned, of the nutrition labels, of the ingredients, of um, any safety concerns related to this supplement, Another thing, when I talk about, uh, young, again, kids, 
I noticed that many of those supplements, they have sugar in them, added sugar to make them tastier. So I want the parents to be aware of that, that like just to be aware of the sugar content of those supplements, because we want to control the sugar intake of kids throughout the day. So that's something. So when I, when we take supplements, it's part of the diet. It's not like something that doesn't count in the diet. It is, it, it, it supplements your diet, right? So anything that's added by the supplement needs to be taken into consideration as part of your diet, contributing to your diet. And sugar is one of it that's being added again to some supplements to make them tastier. Be aware of the claims on the supplement. If you see therapeutic claims, be careful. They cannot, they, we do, supplements cannot have therapeutic claims. They cannot have, they cannot say this treats this disease or this condition. That's not mm-hmm. acceptable. That's not acceptable at all. So, that, so that's another point I would like um, consumers to keep in mind as well, especially parents here. The added sugars part is actually very interesting because you obviously were, you know, it's recommended um, to limit added sugars and you really wouldn't think, you know, that in a supplement that you'd have to worry about sugars. So I like that you brought that up because it's not something that you think of, you know, of a source of added sugars. Exactly. And and yeah, I I, I mean, I know parents uh, for, for addressing parents, they may deal with uh, fussy eaters, children who don't like fish, for instance, they don't want to eat fish at all. I, I suffer with that with my son. Like fish at all. I don't know how to make him. He's trying. He's now starting to like it, but I, I understand their concerns. That's why supplements are. I'm not saying supplements are not good to have. They might be needed in different cases for sure. But again, let's make sure that this is confirmed by solid data, that solid assessment, a thorough assessment of your child's condition, health, and then we decide what is the best supplementation practices for them. Right. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. You can't underestimate, you know, the guidance of a professional in this case and a full, thorough, comprehensive assessment that includes a full on comprehensive dietary assessment Mm -hmm. as well. Um, So shifting gears a little bit, just um, based on your research and your experience in this area, what is like the general adult's experience with dietary supplementation? Are there any Mm -hmm. trends in that area? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. And I and I was like, I want to talk about adults as well, because this is what I, I who are the population I study. Now, uh, let me start with the Canadian Community Health Survey again in 2015. They found that dietary supplement use w- was really common among Canadian adults in general, age 19 and above, uh, like 47.3% were found to be, and I say at least, that's why I want to always say at least. 47.3% were found to be using dietary supplements in the in the past month. Now, this is very similar to the data I found in, in my one of my studies on uh, at the University of Guelph. We did study varsity athletes and non-athlete students who can be active or non-active, just non-athlete students. And we found that 58.3%, again, at least of varsity athletes at the University of Guelph and 43.4% of the non-athlete students at the University of Guelph, they do they have they reported having used at least one type of dietary supplements in the past six months. And again, I feel this number is an underestimation of what's going on in reality for different reasons. And I blame one of the reasons could be that maybe our definition of dietary supplements wasn't clear to everyone, what didn't indicate in detail what it can uh, comprise. Uh, we also, the social desirability, you know, the social bias and desirability plays a big role as well. Um, 
So because in other studies in Canada on Canadian varsity athletes, they found way higher numbers. They reported even up to 98% of Canadian athletes in one in one of the studies in Alberta consuming on average seven different types of dietary supplements. So I mean, the numbers are really high. I feel among athletes, they're higher than the 58.3% we reported at the University of Guelph. And I feel this is the reality. Uh, if I want to focus on adults, particularly athletes, they rely heavily. There's a high reliance and dependence on the use of dietary supplements. And you know the reasons. The reasons can vary from supporting health to uh, promoting performance, uh, improving uh, you know, recovery after exercise, after uh, training and exercising, um, again, uh, it can uh, preventing deficient nutrient deficiencies, correcting certain deficiencies. It can be there can be so many reasons for that, but let's focus on performance recovery. You know, uh, especially for those who are engaged in lots of training and varsity activities. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's some quite high numbers and quite high figures of of um, Canadian adults using at least one type of dietary supplement, both um, locally at the University of Guelph and also um, across Canada. Mm-hmm. Are there any that are like most common? Like, did um, any of that come up? Like, most common dietary supplements that are used? I can answer your question by saying yes, and it depends on uh, mostly the the sex of the participant. Mm-hmm. For for female, uh, they consume more commonly the vitamins and minerals, the multivitamin and mineral supplements. And this, and they wanted to always support their health, uh, promote energy, uh, prevent deficiencies, support immunity. These were, these were the reasons why female consumed supplements in general, I'm saying. And for, for the male, they consumed more the protein supplements, you know, the creatinine, the amino acids, the... Uh, protein powders, sports bars, sports drinks, because they wanted to focus more on performance, muscle building, you know, recovery, uh, etc. So this was again, it depends on the sex of the participant of the of the athlete. We saw different trends with that. Interesting. So when is dietary supplementation actually needed? When is it needed? Okay, so that. When it is needed, that's a great question. And, and I'm, I'm, again, I'm going to be maybe repeating some uh, some of the previous concepts. I mean, one of the general periods during which um, supplementation may be needed, first of all, I'm going to start with the early age. Uh, vitamin D in Canada is recommended to be given to infants um, up to the age of two, especially those who are breastfed they need to be taking the vitamin D drops up to the age of two to prevent the risk of rickets and any bone uh, bone problems, all right? That's for the vitamin D. Uh, also, before pregnant, let's start before delivery, like during pregnancy and even before getting pregnant, there are those prenatal supplements that are also recommended, the prenatal vitamins, um, including the folic acid, This should be taken during pregnancy and even three months prior to planning consumption. In the three months before the planned consumption, 
uh, and during pregnancy, folic acid and multivitamin, multimineral supplements need to be taken in order to, again, pre, uh, so make sure that the, the baby is getting the needed nutrients, the mother is getting the needed nutrients because now there's an extra uh, child or, or living being inside the, the mouth. So they need to support it. So calcium and vitamin D for the bones, folic acid to prevent the risk of what we call some birth defects like the neural tube defect. These are uh, iron also if the mother uh, had any iron deficiency anemia or at risk or de of developing iron deficiency anemia, iron should be also part of the supplementation practices. Also because there's this extra demand of iron by the baby, by the fetus, that needs to be supported. Um, these are some of the things I'm thinking about. Vitamin D, again, as during the first years of life, the prenatal vitamins, uh, vitamin D in winter, uh, I, I honestly think that now vitamin D, based on the studies I'm reading, uh, vitamin D uh, is becoming more like uh, there is there is a high prevalence of vitamin D deficiency in different parts of the world, including Canada. And also uh, where I come from, Lebanon, there is a high prevalence of vitamin D deficiency, although it's a sunny country. So it's not only about the sun. If you tell me Canada, because there the sun, maybe there is a long winter period, there is not much sun. It's not about the sun only or exposure to the sun. You might be exposed to the sun in a sunny country for a bit, but how long are you going to be exposed to? You cannot stay the whole day in the sun. So the amount of vitamin D we can make from the sun is not enough to support the needs of the body. Plus, vitamin D is not commonly found in different food products. Where can we find it? We can find it in some fatty fish, in, the, in eggs, and in fortified dairy products like the fortified milk, for instance. Other than that, vitamin D is not easily found in the diet. So for me, it's very, it's very logic to see this common prevalence of vitamin D deficiency in different age groups throughout the world. And this is where the vitamin D supplementation is becoming more and more practiced and recommended. To correct this deficiency first, to prevent bone problems from happening, not only bone problems, vitamin D now is being shown to be associated with many other diseases. And vitamin D deficiency is being linked to so many conditions uh, such as certain types of cancer, etc. So this is something about vitamin D. I feel that it might be needed in, in different cases um, because this deficiency is, is common and it, it, it's very important to have a good vitamin D status throughout your lifetime. No, thank you for sharing all of that. Those were really great points, especially with the vitamin uh, D. That's where my brain goes is, oh, the sun, <laughs> you know, first, yeah. like, go out and get and get more sunlight. But um, that was even a good point that it's, it's not only about the sun. I, I was wondering how often um, should these supplements be taken? So again, it depends on the dose for the for the vitamin D, for instance, it's recommended for the babies and young children to have supplementation of 400 IU per day. And, and, and I'm, I'm focusing on infants that are breastfed because generally those who are bottle fed or infant formula fed, the infant formulas are fortified with vitamin D, with a good amount of vitamin, vitamin D. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, uh, it depends on each, each baby and, and how much they would need of the vitamin D. But generally it's 400 IU per day for the first two years of life. And this is taken 
uh, generally once a day for, for the first two years of life. And if there's a need to take it beyond the two years of life, mm-hmm. that's something that, again, needs to be reassessed. There's always the need to reassess and redefine a new supplementation plan uh, for each and every individual. I always speak about follow up, reassess, and see how you're doing. Because you, if you want to ask me how long should be, should they be taking them, I don't know. It depends on each case. Yeah. You, know, you take the supplement, you keep seeing the professional, the healthcare professional, you do reassessment after a period of time, and you, re- you, you, see, you revisit this decision. Do I need to keep taking it? Yes mm-hmm. or no, right? There are some, some supplements you might want to take them, I don't know, uh, for a longer period of time, they, uh, uh, they, they, don't ha- they don't have any side effects or something. Like some probiotics, for instance, they are promoted to support gut health. Mm-hmm. And um, they might be taken again, depending on the need, on what you're experiencing in terms of gut health and gut conditions and gut diseases. So again, reassessment is very important to define how long you want to keep taking those supplements. And I don't have an answer for it's at all on an individual basis. Yeah, for sure. And I think that it's really important to note here at this time too, like while we spent like a bit of time discussing, you know, cautions and like some risk with supplement use too, I think it's kind of important to note that there are times when it is definitely appropriate to use dietary supplements. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for all of the information. To close out our podcast, we like to give our families three take-home tips. So what are three take-home tips you can share with our listeners about dietary supplementation? I want to start with a positive positive note because I don't want to look like I'm saying negative things all the time about dietary supplements. Dietary (laughs) supplements are there to support our diet and our children's diet when needed. So yes, when there is a need, they can be really helpful to correct uh, existing nutrient deficiencies or to prevent those deficiencies from happening, especially in, in certain at-risk populations and kids. That's This is my first message. So yes, they can be helpful. They can be needed. But my second mes- message would be that's why it's important to use those supplements under professional guidance. Nutritional, nutrition practitioners, physicians, um, registered dietitians are all reliable sources sources of information on what supplement to use, the benefits of these supplements and their risks and when to use them and when to stop using them. And my final message is always I like to promote in my research the diet first approach. You want you want to make sure you and your your children to, uh, to make sure that you're getting the nutrients from the food, from the food sources, from the diet and if not possible, then we rely. We can rely on dietary supplements. But again, exceeding those intakes, if you're taking them from the diet and then supplementing them with a dietary supplement, exceeding those needs may not offer any additional benefits. On the other, on the other hand, they can be risky and they can cause undesirable side effects. So these are my three main uh, take-home tips for families in general about dietary supplements. I hope I wasn't too negative about supplements. Excellent. No. no, not at all. I think it's a, it's important to be aware of the risks as well. That's a big part of it for sure. But those are some excellent, uh, very tangible take-home tips for our listeners, which is great. And we did just want to say thank you so much, Dr. L. Curry, for taking the time to chat with us about dietary supplements and sharing your wealth of knowledge and your expertise with us on the Healthy Habits Happy Homes podcast. 
Thank you so much. It was it was great having this amazing chat with you. Thank you so much. We hope our listeners enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time. Thank you.